0: Okay, welcome back to another episode of Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, today is a Tuesday episode, so it's me and our friend Hugo Lindgren talking about the news of the day. Hugo, uh, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Uh, the news of the week, I suppose. I don't know what the news of today. I, I, I want to tell you that the, most, the big news of my day, I just got back to New York, and the Kmart on Astor Place is closed. Did you know that? I, you probably don't I, go there very often. I did
0: not know that. Did you go there a lot?
1: you know what not like i mean we didn't love it or anything but you know when there's a big store that sells cheap toilet paper near your house you tend to use it sometimes you know yeah,
0: yeah it was right around the corner from you huh
1: yeah exactly so we, we would go there and it you know it was like this thing when it opened like everybody thought like this is the death of downtown you know like a big box retailer coming in there and then of course like all things in new york it just sort of becomes part of the landscape like you don't even care about it anymore um but now that it's gone i i feel a little it feels ominous to me like yeah, for, for sure. Well, in that location, I mean, my God, right? Like the foot traffic and all the stuff through yeah. there. I've,
0: I've heard people bemoaning the death of CVS or Walgreens in their neighborhood. You know, um, yeah. Pe- people don't like chain stores, uh, but they like having fewer options even less. Yeah. Having to, to walk further. Yeah, you know, we we say that, but um, I'm sure we're both ordering stuff online like crazy. Um, well, as you mentioned last week, though, your wife, like she Harper does not like to, but you know, what? that's not really true. Packages show up all the time. She doesn't like to order from Amazon.
1: She she discourages it.
0: She doesn't like she doesn't use Amazon. She discourages Amazon in general, but she also doesn't like to shop. So like she gets her clothing online and, and stuff like that. So, you know, the stuff's always showing up. So, you know, if you, we've been talking on this podcast over a while now about kind of the impact of COVID and just how New York City is doing in general. And if you have a city that um, has less of a value proposition and is less appealing because crime is way up and the streets are dirtier and everything feels less secure and less safe. Um, and at the same time, you know, there's uh, been this flight of uh, people, at least from their offices, which has resulted in lots of restaurants and bars and stores either getting hurt or shutting down completely. Um, all that kind of builds on itself, right? And just like a good, clean, safe, fun city just keeps attracting more things at work, uh, the opposite is true, too. And so, yeah, and the, the problem with Kmart being closed isn't just that people Kmart lost their jobs and uh, people like you lost a shopping option. It's just indicative of, of where we are in New York right now, and I think it's uh, it's problematic.
1: You know, one thing I keep expecting to happen is that is that sort of rents will come down and some kind of cool new things will start moving in. But you don't see much of that yet. And and in our experience um, with the bookstore that you're opening in, in the fall, um, you know, we we did not uh, we did not encounter a bevy of, of bargains when we started looking. for No, stores. I
0: mean, I think we got a decent price. But yeah, there was I, I thought when we were like, hey, we're going to open up a bookstore like. We would just like within an afternoon have twenty five great locations to pick from, and we would just pick the best one and be done with it. And it wasn't. It took us took us a while and a lot of, a lot of walking around and looking at places, and we got a great place. But yeah, I mean th- that's the weird thing, and I I, th- I think it's you know part of it is the economic incentives for landlords uh, of having vacant space um, compared to tenants, and I think that some of the as I understand it at least some of the clauses they have in their mortgage agreements give them more forbearance and forgiveness if if a space is empty um, than if it's rented at a lower price. And so it seems like, even though it feels illogical, because arguably there ought to be a market and a price for every single location one way or another, um, if you are a really big landlord, uh, it's not necessarily in your interest to fill every single spot unless you can get the price that you want. And in the world that we're in between e- e-commerce and COVID and everything else, I think it's hard for a lot of stores to to get that kind of activity going.
1: Yeah, definitely. The big topic we're going to talk today, which sort of came up in the context of the of the Biden administration's sort of sort of slow moving on the on the two big pieces of the infrastructure package um, it, for you, that that. Uh, Kind of uh, inspired some further thoughts on a on a, a new sort of alignment in terms of parties in the in the in Washington. You want to walk through what you sure you know?
0: I was it, it was kind of in part inspired by just the constant dysfunction in Washington, uh, but part also inspired by I was talking to someone and they were saying how you know we've got to create a third party and that's the key to everything. And I thought about it I was like it's really not right or. Let's put it this way: a third political party that would challenge the Republicans and Democrats at the margins, you know, might occasionally have a, a, a positive impact. But by and large, it's creating another of something that already doesn't work, right? We already have political parties that are, uh, you know, not particularly successful, um, and so creating a, a yet another failed one to me makes no sense. But then I was like, okay, what would it look like if you had, you know, three political parties? It could be whatever you want. And if you think about it, there are sort of three predominant ideologies in Washington um, that if you reorganize along those lines, it, it could be a lot more effective. So uh, as we see, because they get so much attention, the far left and the socialists, right? So that's AOC and Sanders and Warren and
1: I know you didn't read it, but Marine Dowd had, had an interview with, with, uh, with Bernie Sanders that caught a lot of attention this weekend. But uh, as, as he, he ran in the New York Times, I know. I, not- I
0: wouldn't see it then. But what did, uh, what, what, what did Bernie say?
1: Well, nothing that you don't already know, except that when they talked about uh, the, the two or three million dollar package, he said that was much too low. And the figure that he was going for is six.
0: Yeah. All oh, right. You know, I, I think I saw coverage of that then. Right. Um, look. Right. So, but, so in fairness to Bernie and his ilk, they have a point of view which is government should be as big as possible, as comprehensive as possible, tax rates should be as high as possible, and the public sector should run everything. It's not a point of view that I agree with. uh, Whenever their point of view has been tried out uh, at scale in different countries, it hasn't worked. But nonetheless, it's a point of view, and it's an ideology, and therefore that would be one party, the socialists, right? And then the opposite would be the libertarians who really believe in no government or as limited government as possible. And their view is anything that you try to solve through a government solution is going to be less effective than if the private sector or the nonprofit sector handles it instead. Um, and they would rather uh, have a, a very light touch government, um, low taxes, less regulation, and they think the market will provide and protect people better uh, than the government can. Again, not my perspective, and uh, I, I think we've seen you know what happens things like you know consumer safety or workers' rights or everything else when there are no rules around any of that. Um, but at the same time, it's a it's a legitimate point of view, right? And then really, if you think about it, everybody else is in the middle. Um, like take the infrastructure bill and say, capital gains rates, which is not how they're funding now, but let's just 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 say they were. It, Democrats and Republicans who are not socialists or libertarians, you know, would all agree that some measure of spending to enhance our nation's infrastructure or modernize it, you know fix crumbling bridges and roads, you know make the grid uh far more secure at a cyber level and everything else makes sense right and they would agree that you need some measure of tax money to pay for that, and so the debate would really be how much spending and how much taxes right so so Biden has proposed raising the capital gains rate to something like forty percent I think it's currently sitting at twenty three percent and you know you can he he obviously proposed something a little more radical just you know in an effort to to make some progress and get it up a little bit. But, um, you know, people of both parties who would believe that, you know, there should be taxes, there should be government spending, and it should be balanced to whatever is appropriate for the needs of that moment, um, could, could then debate the parameters a little bit and then, you know, split the difference in terms of spending and and taxation, right? It, if you had that, I would argue the vast majority of Republicans and Democrats would fall into that bucket. And right now, because they've got to get reelected in a partisan primary system, or turnout, as our listeners know, is incredibly low and tends to be the most ideological, they often have to pretend to be far more left or right wing than they actually are uh, in order to get reelected. But that's because they're in a primary with uh, people who are effectively of the ideology uh, uh, that doesn't really belong to them or their party, right? So if, if you had a balancers party, and if, you know, you and I, whoever, were, were members of the balancers party, and we were the ones voting in the primary, so it was mainly moderate, um, then you would be rewarded for taking moderate positions, which helps, which is about reaching consensus and compromising getting things done, and you would be punished uh, for not doing so.
1: So, so the neat model, it, it certainly lines up in a, in, a, in a kind of perfect world, but but um, what, what are the actual, like, What's the path to get there? And and I'm going to ask you to 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 not go immediately to mobile voting, although I know that's yeah, no, no, I I
0: won't. Um, Look, the path is is the two current parties have to officially splinter, right? So you need the left and the center on the Democratic side to hate each other so much they decide that they just don't want to be in the same party anymore, Um, and the DSA becomes its own electoral political party, as opposed to just sort of an endorsing entity, it gets a line itself in, in elections. And the same thing on the Republican side, which you know could happen on ideology, could also just happen because of Trump, right? It, it, it might not break up in terms of libertarians and the people who are a little more moderate, it might break up uh, of Trump supporters and Trump opponents. Um, but either way, if, if the more radical fringe of the Democrats and the Republicans both splinter off into their own parties, that's then what creates the opportunity for a lot of people in politics to say, you know what, rather than just sort of trying to prop up a failed, bad system, why don't we take this opportunity to do things differently and better? And if you're those members, uh, you know, whether you're currently a Republican or a Democrat, and you're like, hey, now I can be in a party with people who want to get things done and whose voters expect us to get things done that's ultimately a lot better for you, right? And if you're too partisan and you hate the other side too much to do that, then you can go over to the socialists on the left or the Trumpers, or the libertarians on the right. So I I, th- I think it just in some ways takes a splintering, which maybe mobile voting is actually the worst solution for it, because uh, the more and more things fall apart and the more and more dysfunctional and polarized they are, the faster you'll have those splintering of the parties, uh, which maybe creates this realignment. Mobile voting, I think, would fix a lot of our problems, which means... We might not sort of fall and degrade to the point where, where this becomes necessary.
1: So, OK, but that's that's, a, that's an argument for how it, it could happen, not an argument for like how to make it happen. So what, what I mean, you know, in, in your line of work, you can't very well go around trying to splinter the Democratic Party and expect to, like, you know, get a lot of new clients. Um, like <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a like a that's just an anti sort of establishment. Yeah, I
0: mean, right. I mean, look, personally, luckily, our our work doesn't depend on partisan politics one way or the other, so I don't particularly care. But overall, you're right. Um, I I think what you would try to do is you would try to sow unrest, right, which already exists, by the way. And you already have all these deep divisions, all this anger, all this fury. Um, I think all you have to do is, is not all you have to do, but I think what you have to do is introduce this notion of like, you know what? Bernie Sanders, like, you're right. You shouldn't have to deal uh, with Nancy Pelosi or someone like that. You shouldn't have to deal with people who are more center, left, and moderate than you are. You should be able to move things through based on your ideology. And the same thing on the right, but maybe it's more about, like, if if you want to support Trump, then that puts you in one bucket. And if you don't want to, it puts you in another. Um, And then ultimately... Just get them all fighting with each other to the point where divorce becomes a viable option. I mean, that's what we want is a, a Democratic divorce and a Republican. Divorce.
1: It's just interesting how I saw like Bill Crystal on TV this morning and what how diminished a lot of the sort of anti-Trump Republicans seem, you know, like like yeah. you'd think they'd have this great moment where where they could really like uh, make this terrific case and sort of rise in prestige and, and influence. And instead he just, he just seemed like just completely out of it. And this just hobbyist, like out there in the world. And um, I mean, I never loved him one way or the other, but, um, but it was, it was kind of pathetic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, look, the Trump's influence has certainly not waned uh, since losing office within the Republican party. And as a result, you know, members are still stuck in the same dynamic they were when he was in office, which is, um, most of them or a lot of them didn't want to support him and didn't support his views, but they were so afraid of his power in a primary uh, that they wouldn't dare to cross him in any way. Um, even though Trump is out of office, we still we, we seem to still be in that same dynamic, right? There's occasionally someone courageous like a, a, a Mitt Romney that steps forward and separates himself, but it, it's pretty few and far between.
1: I feel like we haven't heard much from Mitt recently, but maybe I just haven't been reading the right stuff. I, it seems like he had his... Sort of moment last year with, the, it,
0: yeah. I mean, in a weird way, what he would have to do now, if he wanted to continue to be relevant, um, is be that 50th vote for Democrats on some stuff, right? Like Joe Manchin would be a lot less powerful if there was one Republican that was willing on some issues uh, to join them. Now, look, Romney's a conservative. He's. Yeah, I think more. he really
1: doesn't like the big spending, and the. I mean, yeah,
0: so I'm not sure he would be for all of this. But but that's where he would have leverage. But being one of 50 gets him very little. It got him something when he was the one going against the incumbent pres- sitting president, right? But now uh, he's only going to be relevant if he's bucking the orthodoxy of Mitch McConnell. Uh, and that would mean cutting some deals with Chuck Schumer.
1: I don't think we're going to see that, frankly, but I guess we'll, we'll see. Um, the, the Biden executive order on competitiveness, did you take a look at that?
0: Yeah, I did. Um, look, it, it, in, in many ways... I mean, it, it feels very small ball in many ways. It's things like, like you know, airline baggage fees and, and fuel. I, that... I
1: was disappointed not to see popcorn prices at movies in there. Um... No, they're,
0: gonna get, they're doing another round in, in, in Q3, <laughs> so they'll, they'll get those. Um, but yeah, so on one hand, it felt very small ball. On the other hand, this, to the conversation we just had, this is a situation we're in. We're in a completely dysfunctional, polarized government. The ability to pass anything through Congress is is basically zero. It's literally an act of Congress is synonymous with a miracle um, these days. And if you're the president, whether you're Obama or Trump or Biden, and you want to get things done, it really happens through the executive order process, which means you're governing for a couple of years based on rules that you know when the other party comes in, all get flipped over again. So very hard way uh, to run an economy. Very hard way for people to plan. Uh, or prayer for the future. Um, but that's kind of what we're reduced to right now. And in this case, you know, what would fix that? I, Oh, wait, wait, let me guess.
1: Mobile voting. Very good. You're getting there. You're learning. (laughs) I know it's only, it's taken me only about six months, but I'm getting there. Is there anything on there that, that, um, that caught your attention that you actually thought was cool or good or, or something that, that, that would make a, a substantive difference?
0: No, not, not really. Um, no, I, I, th- I think it's more of a, hey, if, if we can't expect Congress to pass laws that are going to sort of change our antitrust regulatory system, and look, the, you know, appellate court dismissed the, the antitrust case against Facebook the other week, so if we can't count on the courts and we can't count on Congress, you know, we've just got to rely on it ourselves. I mean, Joe Biden, you know, so far has kind of been the executive order president, and may continue to be that through through the next couple of years. Um, and that's kind of, like I said, what, what we're reduced to. It is a, a sad state of being. But even when you have the president, the House, and the Senate all in one party, it still doesn't necessarily mean things get done.
1: So one issue that just is kind of gaining uh, strength is just the sort of unvaccinated problem and the spread of COVID in places where people um where vaccination rates are lower, which I looked up, I, I, I was sort of curious about the uh seatbelt law, you know, when that was when that was passed. Um I actually was surprised to discover that you know there's one state where you don't have to wear your seatbelt. Do you know what state that is? Louisiana. No interesting it's not Louisiana, it's New Hampshire. Um but the uh but they they also have uh, the they have these good surveys and and Louisiana and Mississippi are way down in terms of the percentage of people who do wear seatbelts, although they're still way over fifty percent. Um, but I was, I was thinking about this and I was wondering, like, what, like, if you were the vaccine czar, what do you think would possibly work to, to, to get vaccination rates up in these places? I mean, I guess to some degree, people getting sick and dying ought to help a little bit. Um, but, but is there anything that could be done that's not being done?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that you could probably do is just say, we are going to shift liability and responsibility here, right? So you can choose not to get uh, vaccinated. It is not a federal mandate, but if you choose not to take advantage of this free program and you get sick and you get COVID or anything kind of related to it, uh, your healthcare costs are your own. They're not gonna be covered by insurance. They're not gonna be covered by Medicare. They're not gonna be covered by Medicaid. Um, Your employer is not responsible for them. You know, if, if you choose to take the risk uh, of not being protected against COVID when it is so easy at this point to avoid taking that risk, then you are also choosing to take uh, the liability and responsibility that comes with it. Now, I don't know that sort of a shifting of liability is automatically going to trigger this mass you know, movement to get vaccinated. But I do think that if someone gets sick and then all of a sudden they're getting hit with a $25,000 hospital bill, they probably can't pay uh, and their friends and family see that um that's a pretty strong incentive right because you know once that once that bill is out there and you're not paying it you've got to work that off in some way and that has a real world impact on your life
1: feels like the left and the right would come together to stop that though I mean the the uh, the left is worried about people who don't know better who aren't you know who aren't informed or haven't found out or or live in communities where you know they they they're sort of brainwashed one way or another. Um, not to do it. And and the right obviously thinks of it as a, a, a great sort of uh, impingement on freedom. Um, so it seems like that would be a you, you need your balancer party to get that one through. Uh,
0: what if you were um, to say, health insurers, you no longer have to cover anyone who won't get vaccinated? I wonder if they would be like, great, we can drop all of these low performing, low margin customers. Or if they would say, you know what, it doesn't help us because younger people are not getting vaccinated uh, at a greater uh, rate than anyone else. And those are normally our cheapest customers because they don't have that many medical problems. So it, it may not do them that much good, actually.
1: Um, you sent me a, an editorial earlier in the week from The Wall Street Journal, and they, it was it was kind of like a paint-by-numbers uh, Wall Street Journal editorial attacking the teachers' unions for, for wokeness. Um, why did you send that to me? You said you wanted to talk about it, and I I read it, and I was like, yeah, this just seems like another day in the life. But there was something about it that well, yeah, be-
0: here's what it was: is was, was you know, it was a typical journal piece about like how evil the teachers unions are, and how they're so worried about you know who's sufficiently woke that they're missing the point of of what they're supposed to be doing. And, and I just was surprised by, in my view, the naivete of that editorial, which was they they, they went for such the obvious point of red meat of like you know bash teachers' unions to Wall Street Journal readers, like, okay, um, that and they kind of missed it, which is what, what the NEA and NFT are doing is, is fucking brilliant in my view, which is their view is um, in reality, they are taking positions every single day on behalf of the teachers and adults in the system against the interests of kids, right? Uh, almost every single thing that they do takes money away How you from- How
1: you sound like the Wall Street Journal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but, but yeah, cuz I don't disagree with the journal on teachers unions, right. but I
1: think they missed the point here,
0: which is, you know, the the teachers unions typically have to advocate or choose to advocate for policies that either result in money going uh, away from other parts of education and into their pockets or requires less work, less accountability, less results, less everything else. None of the things that teachers unions advocate for are typically in the interest of actual kids. And by the way, when we say kids, at least in like New York City, we, we mean black and brown kids, right? Um, because the public schools in, in many big cities are overwhelmingly uh, children of color who have lower income. And so, if if your day job was to, was to hurt ch- low-income children of color, right? If your day job was to screw them over every single chance you got, you would want to obscure that as much as you could, too, right? And so, the best way, the best misdirection play, the best way for them to sort of get away with that is that they go the other way and say, we are the most woke, most progressive, most left-wing organization ever. We support every fringe left-wing cause and and idea.
1: Because being for critical race theory is free.
0: (laughs) Right, and by doing that, um, then all of a sudden, all of the same people who should be attacking them for trying to hurt low-income kids of color uh, instead are praising them because they're, you know, aligned with them ideologically, right? To the point where, you know, progressives don't like charter schools at the behest of the teachers' unions, um, even though charter schools, arguably many of them, do a lot more to help low-income kids than, than traditional public schools do. So, it, it's not... Do you
1: think Randy Weingarten knows this is what she's doing? Yes, I do.
0: I think she's really smart. I think she knows what she's doing. Look, I think I think she probably lies to herself. I don't know Randy at all, so that, but like, personally, but she, she might lie to herself to make it easier to sleep at night, but the stuff that they do is horrific in terms of you know advocating uh, against the interests of kids and the politics they do, I think, is brilliant, which is they obscure it so well uh, that even the Wall Street Journal doesn't realize it.
1: Are they worse than police unions? <sighs>
0: it's a really good question.
1: So the argument
0: for no would be police unions are looking out for the interests of police officers, arguably at the expense of other public safety needs, right? Just like teachers unions are looking out for the economic interests of teachers at the expense of other educational needs. You know, it it, kind of depends, right? If if ultimately the police unions are arguing for more money, less work, less accountability, uh, which is what the teachers unions tend to argue for, then yeah, they're probably pretty similar. Um, with, with that said, uh, you know, it's because it's it's a twenty four seven system that's not quite as confined and, and and specific as an educational system. You know, they're a little different in some ways too.
1: You think it's easier to stash stuff in the education sort of bucket? If- I mean, that's poorly put, but you know what I mean? Like it, we we have, there's less visibility in terms of what like is happening inside schools.
0: Well, the school budget is, is so massive that it it's hard to really tell what's going on in there. Look, and the police budget's very big too. That's why uh, some people have criticized some of the defunded police efforts as insufficient because they're saying, oh, we're not really cutting enough. There's all this other money going to law enforcement that you don't even realize. So look, they're they're both very, very big budgets. They're both black holes. Um, sometimes, but but either way, look the police unions arguably do the same thing and make it about uh, public safety and victims' rights and things like that, you know. And so, but both sides do it. Um, but the idea that uh, someone because they sort of say things that are you know particularly progressive in some way means that their actual day to day activities and politics are progressive um, is another story. And I was just surprised that the journal didn't realize that.
1: Um, one thing we talked about last week, I just wanted to touch on it, uh, the sort of China's clamping down on, on their major tech companies uh, sort of continued with a, uh, the parent company of TikTok, which was uh, planning to go public, is now in the same crosshairs that um, that Didi, the ride-hailing service, uh, found itself in the middle of. Do you have, Did you have anything to add to our discussion last week about, about what this means? It's obviously not just a shot across the bow, then this is like part of a part of a program, it looks like, of the...
0: Well, yeah, or or look, maybe this is just a very, very clear signal that China takes cybersecurity seriously, and we don't, right? Um, we are constantly being hacked. We are constantly you know, uh, d- debating how much we should regulate uh, data, data providers. Um, and as a result, uh, maybe we are leaving these windows for cybercrime wide open, and the Chinese are saying, this is crazy. Um, hey, TikTok, hey, DD, whoever it is, if you're going to control the data or have data on hundreds of millions of people or billions of people, we need to be comfortable with how you're protecting it. Um, and until then, we're going to use our power uh, to keep you bottled up. You know, may- maybe that's just common sense. I don't know. But look, that's the difference between a, a managed economy and a totalitarian society and a capitalist society and, you know, a democracy, right, is that, that we don't treat companies that way. Um look, we are, being freer probably means in some ways being less safe. Um, and that's a trade-off that we choose to make.
1: So uh, this week you are leaving the country for the first time since COVID. Uh, what's, yeah. How are you feeling about that?
0: Uh, I feel fine. I've got my vaccination card. I've got, a, uh, I'll get a, a COVID test when I leave uh, at the end of the week to fly back to the U.S. Um, but um, yeah, I'm excited. Just honestly, I you know, I've, I've enjoyed this last 16 months or so with my family but the four of us have been together quite a bit um so <laughs> a little one alone time isn't bad and even the flight is like nine hours and uh, oh I'm i thought coming. i thought a
1: family vacation was going to be added on to the business trip but that's not the case
0: uh no lyle and i are going to california the week after for oh, okay. a trip um and i'm looking forward to that but uh no this is this is a pure work trip but uh it is in europe and i'm looking forward to it
1: how much, um, how much baseball is going to factor into your trip to California, or Lyle? Uh, we have tickets for a Dodgers game and a Padres game,
0: so and then we have uh, Disney for two days for the Avengers uh, new theme park and the Star Wars park.
1: All right, we'll have a safe trip, and uh, I'll talk to you when you're back. Thanks. See you. Later.